Open one of David Abel's two new books, and you'll find allusions to the Black Mountain School of Poetry. Tether, the third poem in the book, is dedicated to Paul Blackburn, who, though not a fan of categorizing poets by group, has been lumped with those writing spontaneously in U.S. American speech rhythms using a field approach to the page. Open the book Float and find the first passage is called Conduction, which is a reference to heat transfer, which could be seen as analogous to Charles Olson's notion of the poem being a high-energy construct that transfers energy from the poet to the reader by way of the poem. And Olson's notions of being of use, being active in the community, and being concerned about the welfare of the polis are all alive in David Abel's seemingly endless artistic activity and organizing in Portland, Oregon, where he is an editor teacher, proprietor of Passages, Bookshop, and The Text Garage. He publishes chapbooks and broadside series, is a founding member of the Spare Room Reading Series, as well as the 13 Hats Collaboration. Tether is published by Bare Bone Books and Float by Chax Press. David, nice to have you here today. It's great to be here, Paul. So, I understand you were born in Salt Lake City. This is true. And uh, moved to Portland in 1997. How'd you end up out here? Lots of places in between. Salt Lake City's a long story. It's a, it's a once upon a time in America story, if you know that Sergio Leone film about gangsters, Jewish gangsters in Chicago. Um, so my father was from Brooklyn, my mother from Detroit, but we ended up in Salt Lake City through um, a kind of double cross. Uh, this is long before I was born. So my father goes out and gets a job. He gets, they get stranded there. Uh, my sister is born there. I'm born there. Uh, he gets run out of business by the Mormons, a very small Jewish population in uh, Salt Lake in those years. Now a very large Orthodox population. They get along with the Mormons. Anyway, so they get, we get run out of the state, basically, and end up in South Florida. I grow up mostly in uh, South Florida. I often say that both... Utah and Florida really don't have any claim on me. But my imagination uh, really is uh, rooted, in a way, in the view of the mountains in Ogden, Utah, north of Salt Lake, as a young child. I went back there after being away for 30 years, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and seeing it again, um, it connected uh, very, very deeply. So it was many years in Florida before I got back out to the West, uh, I went to school for a year at Deep Springs College in California. Fascinating place on a cattle ranch in the high desert. And uh, then was back to Florida, and then I was in upstate New York at Bard, and then I lived in New York City, and then I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, back and forth between New York and New Mexico, and uh, left New York City for Albuquerque in 92. Was in Albuquerque for five years. I uh, had my second bookshop there, first one in New York. And then my, my then wife got a job teaching at the Oregon College of Art and Craft in Portland. And we moved in 97 to Portland. Portland for so long has been such a destination. It's been given these sort of kudos and ratings, you know, best, one of the best cities in the country to live in. So for most people who move there, it's, it's a, the fulfillment of a quest. And for me, it was purely inadvertent. I just ended up there. Got divorced shortly after getting there. And I stayed. So now it's almost 16 years that I've been in Portland. When you go somewhere after 30 years, you yeah. can feel the ghosts, can't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I had, a, I had an extraordinary uh, opportunity, which was that the house that I grew up in was for sale. 
And the second time I went by, the owners were there working on the yard and they let me wander around in this empty house. The fact that it was empty was astonishing. So I walked through these rooms and repopulated them. And uh, it was, it was a, a, an unforgettable, uncanny experience to uh, walk through those rooms and go into the backyard and see the view of the Wasatch Mountains. Very, very close. It's very much in the foothills. And uh, um, realized that that had never left in a certain sense. Really some ghosts when you go back through your old house. I yeah. can just imagine. Yeah. I went yeah. to Baltimore yeah. after 24, 25 years and mm-hmm. I can feel it very strongly yeah. there. Yeah. When I saw that you were from Salt Lake City, I'm like, this does not compute. <laughs> this guy's yeah. from New York. Sure, you know? sure, sure. And so that's that's interesting that you say that your father's from Brooklyn because well, you could definitely get that. And in fact, when I, when I arrived in New York, not the very first time I ever set foot there in high school, but when I first started visiting New York when I was a student a couple hours north in college, Bard, I felt a sense of home that I never felt in Utah, I never felt in Florida. Um, there was a sense of it being the first place I lived that I really felt was a home in that sense. I felt at home there. Yeah. We well, must have felt at home right away in Portland because just a couple of years into your stay, here comes the spare room reading series. Well, you know, I didn't. Honestly, I I felt very much out of place for a long time. I think that my energy um, stood out and was confusing to people. (laughs) I mean, Portland itself has changed a lot in 15 years or so, but but I I, I sometimes thought I was wearing a big sign that I couldn't see, that other people could see, and they could stay away. And it said, not from here. Yeah, it said, you know, doesn't get it or whatever. Um, But after... Um, a few years there. I'm trying to think. It was 2002. So I'd been there five years. So the first first four years, five years were tough. But I started to, to meet people and find, find slash cultivate a community. Uh, I met Mary Rose Larkin uh, in a workshop that I taught. And we had a meeting. Uh, maybe 10 people came. 10 people who were all looking for something that wasn't available or things that weren't available in Portland and said, well, what do we want to do? And some people wanted a reading group and some people wanted a reading series and some people wanted to publish something. And, uh, so the reading group got started and it lasted a little while. The reading series started, Spare Room, and it's still going. So that's been uh, 11 years, 170 readings. Yeah. When I think about it, I think that this somehow... Uh had a lot in common with the subtext reading series that that uh, was happening in Seattle for about 15 years and so very explicitly inspired uh, by that yeah yeah how do you describe spare room for somebody who knows a little bit about poetry but wonders what it's about I we struggle with words like experimental or innovative uh, in part because we're actually fairly broad in our interests but that even that whole, breadth is at a margin Um, and it has to do with more than anything else the simple fact that there was no venue in Portland that was interested in work that was uh, overtly not mainstream or you know and um, there were lots of venues there were lots of reading series but people would come to the West Coast, and I'm sure you know how this is. People would come, and they would it would be a flyover. They would go to San Francisco. They might come to Seattle. They'd go to Vancouver, but they never came to Portland. And we wanted to change that. So in the beginning, we had very, very small audiences and uh, really just 
caught people when they were coming through, had to kind of twist arms. After a number of years, people started to hear about it, hear that it was a, that it was a friendly venue, you know, that, that people really listened and people started to approach us. So, so that's how it, that's how it developed. And so I tell people that we're interested in work that is experimental, that is innovative, that is not mainstream, um, but that we don't, we don't have any really narrow kind of ideological or stylistic test. There's no litmus test. And we work as a, as a group. So right now there's six. It's fluctuated the numbers. Two, Mayros and I are the two people who are still uh, in the group who were there at the beginning. And, and it's, it's really quite, uh, it's very effective at preventing it from lapsing into a narrow focus because anyone that any one of the six of us is really interested in is going to read, even if other people are not as interested, we're not going to veto, veto that, you know, rare, rare instances. So uh, that keeps it open and lively and changing, even while we definitely are more interested in, in people who are not going to get a hearing otherwise. They're not going to be invited or be welcomed otherwise. Mm.